as I was uh, thinking about this morning, early today again, and I shared this with you last week, when Jesus was addressing um, a group of people, they were on their way, they left the temple and they were walking away, and it says he, he was talking to his disciples, and they get in this discourse about the end of the world. And one of the things that Jesus says before the end, he says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I want to put that out there again today as a, probably as a warning that as the wickedness and things in the world change and get farther away from God's truth, there's a danger that even those of us who love Jesus, that our love can grow cold. Um, it's not even a, 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 a willing choice other than we always make choices, but as we're inundated and swarmed with evil and wickedness around us, we can get callous to it, and it can find it creeping into our lives, and it will definitely interfere with our love of Jesus and serving Him. And he's, the challenge is there, but those that stand firm, that don't go with the world, that don't go with the crowd, they will be saved, be taken care of. Uh, Jeff talked about that Sunday school class that I'll be teaching. I think it's going to start the first weekend in November. We've got a few week, couple weeks out yet. Um, I handed out those papers today. There'll be handouts that you'll also get when you come to the class. And I just want to give you a little bit on that one. This, 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 the, what we're going to do is something that's been on my mind for a few years um, to teach this specific course. And over the summertime... Um, there was a, a, a time when I felt the Lord really burned a couple things in my heart, and that was one of them that can't put it off any longer. An urgency of the time for it is now, and through discussions and stuff, we've decided at least to work it the first time through with the Sunday school uh, time. And so for many of you, you don't normally come to Sunday school, but I challenge you to at least take the paper and take a look at it. What's it going to look like? A lot of you, your only experience with me is this. <laughs> that I stand up for, but you need to recognize that I spent over 20 years as a classroom math teacher, and actually my initial interactions with people around the Word of God was teaching Sunday school. Um, I taught Sunday school, led Bible studies and stuff, and then I taught adult Sunday school back in the old building at Woodville for a long time. And <clears throat> when I preach, I just basically talk. Um, and numerous times I've told my wife, I wish there were ways that I could interact more like I do when I used to be in the classroom. She says, you can, but you guys aren't programmed that way in this setting, so it wouldn't go that well. But that class is not going to be like this. It's going to hopefully have good insights into the Word and some different things that God can use, but it's going to be much more interactive classroom style. Um, what we're going to do is I've picked... I actually have several, but we're going to start with a strategic passage of Scripture, which I'm not going to say what it is today, not that it's a secret, but we'll, we'll get into that the, the first couple of weeks of class. But a strategic passage of Scripture, and then we're going to, what we're basically going to do is we're going to apply ourselves to going and getting as deep an understanding of what God is saying in that passage to each one of us, and not just, and, and, and how it applies to our life. It's not enough just to know it. But we're going to challenge ourselves also with once we get an idea of what God is saying, what does that look like walked out? Um, we'll, in that process of actually doing that together, we'll ex be exposed to several study tools and techniques. And not just showing them to you, but working on them together. Real time. Okay? 
Um, the goal is that you can, you can, if nothing more, you walk away with a better understanding what that scripture says, but the broader purpose also is going to be equipped to go beyond just your regular reading of the Bible. Um, I thought about this this morning too. It's important that we all just read the Bible cover to cover over and over and over again. As many times as we can get through it in our lifetime, just reading it. Okay? But then there's also another kind of reading, which is this, where God illuminates a scripture, a passage, a place, because he's trying to speak beyond just our regular reading, and then going into that and determining what is he saying. And that requires a, a different kind of reading and a different kind of effort. Okay? This will be interactive. I'll stress that over and over again. Um, a classroom setting, actually, we're going to be meeting in the sanctuary, but the sanctuary will look different during the Sunday school time at that spot. So I'll just tell you that much. You'll have to come and see what that looks like. But it's not going to be like it has been even right now. It will be, we're going to rework furniture a little bit so it's more conducive um, and then put it back together before the service. Um, not just me talking in a lecture. Um, there'll be discussions as a large group with questions and answers, the ability to make comments, um, um, I'll go back, pull a teacher's thing, I'll ask a question, then I'm going to get quiet and listen to see what you have to say. And if you don't say anything, I'll, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Okay. Um, don't let that scare you away, though. I usually can read pretty well who's going to, like, shrivel up and die if they have to talk in front of people and who, who actually wants to answer but is not welcome. Is not. I, you got to realize, I taught math for years. I could tell the person that had the answer on the tip of their tongue, but just like, I don't want to say it. So I say, well, you, you clearly know what the answer is. Give it to me. Or I saw the other person in the corner that's not making eye contact, and they're like, you don't call on that person because they're clearly paralyzed. So um, there's also going to be real-time interaction with various study tools where we'll pull some of that stuff up, whether it be on the screens, uh, bring your computer, your laptop, your tablet, your phone, your Bible, your notebook, all that kind of stuff, and there'll be some group work stuff where we'll you know, uh, split up into smaller groups and just kind of work on some stuff and then kind of collect back together. Who is it for? You. Who is it for? You. You might look at that paper, and when you get to the back part of it, it can say, oh, wow, this, I can't do this. It's, it's only for people that are academically-minded students, and that's not the case. I tried to put a narrative together in that paper that has two parts to it. One is to make sure that you recognize it's for anybody, but also the second part of the, the, the thing I wrote up in there is actually to grab your attention. I put a lot of work and time into trying to keep this focused in a direction that we're going to head. Um, who is it for? Anybody that has a desire to understand God's truth in a practical and applicable way. Whether you want to learn how to study or not, if you have a desire to understand God's Word in a deeper way, this is for you. Okay? Um, and so that will be coming up, and I'll probably we'll, we'll be continue to announce and talk about that in the weeks to come. So that's coming up at the beginning of November. So the message today is entitled, let me click ahead here. What lens are you looking through? What lens are you looking through? Let's start with a, a question. Why all the work and all the dedication and all the talking about God's truth. Jeff stands up this We have the kids memorizing, teaching in the Sunday school class. Jeff gets up and reads from Psalm 19. And then, so why? Why all this emphasis that we have on God's truth and God's word? Um, I spend a lot of time prepping 
I got, I got right up, prepping for stuff. For sermons. I write devotionals every week that I preach. Sunday school class. And all kinds of other things. And then as a church, if you've noticed, we give preeminence and prominence and priority to the preaching and the teaching and the discussion of God's Word. We have sermons basically every week except for holidays and programs, but even in the programs there's usually Scripture in there and there's, there's biblical teaching right in the middle of the program. So we have sermons. We have Sunday school, which is all about looking into God's Word and what is it saying and teaching. Our worship songs are all Scripture, Bible-based. They might not have the actual verse in there, but there's truth in it. Sarah, we're talking about these things, and she's reading to you from John chapter 1. Home groups. Most of our home groups, if not all of them, have a portion of them in there where there's a discussion about God's Word and His truth. We have, we've gone to great lengths to put forth all of our services, a live stream it, and we have a podcast to try to get people, as many people as possible, to listen to the preaching and the teaching of the Word. So why are we doing all those things? Well, I'll give you a couple reasons. First off, we as a church, I as a pastor, believe that the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus said that in John chapter 8. He says, if you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's God's truth is the only thing. His principles and His truth are the only things that can set you free. And then <clears throat> it's um, our minds, that thing between your two ears, the brain that God gave you. It needs renewing. Take a look at this scripture in Romans. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. It's a, it's, it's a strong urge, strong warning, if you will, or a command. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds need renewing. We need our minds to be, we need our lives, our hearts to be transformed. To go through a metamorphosis like a butterfly. When a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, the caterpillar is there but in a different form. Okay? The caterpillar doesn't die, it just, it just, it's, it's transformed, it metamorphosizes into something that we, with our own human eyes, would say is much more beautiful. The creepy crawly caterpillar turns into a butterfly that oftentimes goes, oh, isn't that cute? When's the last time you saw somebody look at a caterpillar and say, oh, isn't that cute? We need that transformation and we need to undergo our, our minds. And like I said again, as a church, the leadership of the church, the pastors, and our core people, the people that come regularly, I believe feel the same thing. We believe this stuff. We don't just talk about it. We believe that the truth sets us free. We believe that we need to be transformed, that our minds need to be changed, that the Word of God does that. So we act in that way and we choose to serve in accordance with that. Now the next words in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, actually they're not next. If you looked in your Bible, the, the passages I used last week, I left a paragraph in between them out. And I did that purposely because there's, they are related, but there's a whole thought that Jesus gave, and there was no way that I was going to do it justice, do both in one. You wouldn't do service to either one of them. So I split that out. So today, we're going to look at this other thing. And the words of Jesus actually fit right into this idea of the truth setting us free and our need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 
the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay. Actually, other versions read, if your eyes are good or if your eyes are bad. Good and bad. Healthy, unhealthy. Again, that whole language translation, trying to find out what's the best English word to look at that. Now, we're going to unpack the truths in this today. All right. The first thing we want to look at is this concept of the eye is the lamp of the body. And what Jesus is doing here is he's using a good English word, a metaphor. He's actually using an example so that people will hear that. And in this, I, before we get into the whole and break the whole metaphor apart, there's something we have to look at that's a scriptural principle or truths that are, that are permeated throughout the Bible. Um, mo- most of you heard that we are made up of what? As human beings, we are made up, you know this, we are made up of, a lot of you, body, soul, and spirit. Or body, mind, and spirit. Soul and mind, again, trying to find a way to use an English word so we get that idea. But it's important we catch first off, and this is something that's throughout Scripture, body, soul, mind, and spirit. <clears throat> Let's talk about each one of them. Your body. Your body is the physical, external part of you. What we call also the flesh. Flesh and bones. But it goes more than just the physical, the fleshly part of you. And actually in your body, in that fleshly part, it's more than just your hair and your nose and your eyes and your skin. In that flesh is the place in you that is the seat of your affections, your passions, and your desires, and your appetites reside in that. In in a simple way, if you look at this too, an animal. An animal knows when it needs to eat, knows when it needs to sleep. They know when they procreate, all that kind of stuff there because they have that in as a part of their being. We share that same idea with an animal. We have these things there. But our our affections and our passions and our desires are much more um, in-depth. There's a lot more to our stuff than it is for animals. Okay, let's talk about the soul. Soul, mind. Put those two things together. Um, if you were to do a word study on this, you'd find out that this idea of soul is, can be kind of confusing, actually. And you get all these kind of words, and sometimes you scratch your head about that. But put soul, mind together. Realizing, again, they're trying to talk about what we're made up as human beings and splitting up into parts. And sometimes it's hard for us because we just take for granted how we are. But soul, soul and mind, it's the part of us that gives us the ability, that gives us the ability to be able to think and to reason. It's in your, in your, in your, in your soul or your mind is that part of you. It may, probably has other things in there too, but it's the spot that allows you to be able to think and to reason. Okay? And then you have a spirit. You have a spirit. And that spirit is eternal. Your spirit is eternal. Now, if you're looking at these things on a continuum, your spirit is the highest part of you. But the interesting thing is the part that you can go through your whole life and not even realize you have. It's invisible. Your spirit is the highest part. It's a part of you that's made in God's image. Your spirit is in the image of God, but there's a part of your mind also with its ability to think and reason is also a part of you that was made in the image of God that separates you from animals, 
that separates you from any other created thing. We say, well, my dog can think. Not like you do. And your dog can reason? Hmm. I'm not sure. We really get down to it. Our animals are really good at instinct. But reasoning is a human capacity. Thinking is a human capacity. All right? So your ability to reason in your mind and think in your mind and your spirit are made in the image of God. Your body, on the other hand, interesting, where your thoughts, well, not your thoughts, but your, your desires, your affections, and your passions rely, that's the lowest part of you, and it was meant from the beginning to be subservient to the mind and spirit. In God's original plan, your fleshly body and all the stuff that goes into it with its passions and desires is always meant to be subservient and take its commands from your mind and your spirit. Okay, now, God intended, God intended that our minds, now some of you are going to have a hard time with this because we always talk about sowing to the spirit, but that's talking, just hear this through, hear this through, I think you'll follow it. God intended, and the reason, I'm actually putting a dilemma out there that some of you are going to say, wait a minute, you can't say that. God intended that our minds would lead us to understanding and that we would be governed and controlled by that understanding. That was God's plan from the beginning. That your mind would lead you to understanding, and that through that understanding it would govern and control our actions. His plan also, that that understanding would cause us to love, have a feeling, it would cause our emotions go after because they were, they were, we reason through and think through at the beginning and it would cause us to love and to go after those things that were the best thing for us and the truest thing for us. Our flesh, where all of our affections and our passions are, would be controlled or directed by our minds. It's important we catch that, that our flesh, our body, would be controlled by our mind. And all of those things working in the thing would feed our spirit man who's eternal and help him to be as close in communion to God as possible. Then came the fall. That's why I'm saying what I said at the beginning. Because not a one of us, not a one of us have ever experienced what God originally planned. Nobody. I don't care how long you've walked with God, you still haven't fully experienced what God intended about that. And as humans, we're terrible at taking our eyes off our own experience and looking at what God intends, okay? In the fall, okay, let's go. Now we're going to go through many uh, chapters without even talking about it. We're just going to, God gave instructions in the Garden of Eden. He said, and you can read this, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you'll get a lot of stuff here. God gave instructions, told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit in the garden except for one of them. And it was the fruit that would, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. Satan comes along in the form of a serpent. He brings temptation. And in that temptation, he brings questions. He brings doubts. He engages Adam and Eve's mind with the questions, okay? And instead of using that God-given mind that they had to reason 
through that temptation and using God's instruction as a guide, they choose instead to let their flesh, their body, their passions, their desires, and affections drive their mind in that thought process. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. I want you to stop right there. We've been talking about your flesh is where, what your desires, your, your passions, your appetites lie. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, physical appetite, taste, pleasing to the eye, an affection, an emotion, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. What did she do? She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Satan tempts them and then they listen. Instead of listening to God's truth in their mind, what he said, don't eat it because if you do, it's going to be bad. They listen to the temptation and then start to operate out of what their flesh wants. They saw it. They looked at it through a fleshly eyes, desire, passion, affection. And they used that reasoning to interpret what Satan had said. And they come to this spot, which has gone on ever since. If it feels good, do it. And that is a and that's an action and a decision-making that's based totally and completely in the flesh. Which, remember, was supposed to be what? Subservient to everything else. And you know what's happened ever since? Instead of looking first at what God had to say and using that to drive the reason, they listened to what their flesh was saying and let that dictate to their mind. And mankind as a whole, as a race, ever since has, because of that fallen nature that we all have, has failed to be driven by his mind the way God intended him to be. Should have been driven in his mind by God's truth and his instruction. But instead, human beings as a whole now are driven by their flesh, their desires, their affections, and their passions, and, it, that, and allow that to drive their reasoning and their decision-making, which leads to actions. Okay, And that is a major problem. I know that's a really deep look at what happened in original sin, but the interesting thing is, hopefully you saw here, look what it says. The woman saw. It was pleasing to the eye. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And Jesus said what? The eye is the lamp of the body. It's all tied together. Now, before we get into that, God desires... His desire right from when that happened, when they sinned. His desire ever since has been to free people from that problem of letting the flesh dictate the mind. And he's been constantly working to transform us, to bring about a metamorphosis which would reintroduce us to the way it was supposed to work. He sent Jesus to make it possible for us to again be driven by our minds. And to be driven by God's truth and his instruction. God planned that if we would come to Christ and yield to him, our minds would be renewed so that they would look to God in his ways rather than fleshly desires, affections, and passions. And he said again, the eye, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay? 
Again, what is the body? The body is the flesh where our desires, our passions, and our affections reside. They are fallen. They need to be controlled. They need to be changed. Actually, if you want to look at this, the eye is the lamp of the body. What Jesus is saying is your flesh, your body needs a lamp to light the way for it. Okay? What do you have a lamp for? My son is building a house. Yesterday, we turned lights on for the first time. Not the finished ones, but the ones there. Up until this time, if you go down the basement, which is usually very, very dark, the only way you can see anything is with a light or a headlamp. And so I've got a first-hand knowledge of lamps being lit. You light a lamp to give light to the darkness, to see what's actually there. There have been a couple times I tried to walk across the basement without the light on. One time I stepped right square on a round piece of conduit about that big. Fortunately, I was soft-footed enough when I stepped on it, I felt it didn't put weight on it because that was an ankle twist waiting to happen. You light a lamp to light the darkness so that you can see what's actually there, so you don't... What do you do when you walk into a dark room and you can't see? You're going totally by what? Feel. And heaven forbid the door's open and you do one of these things and it catches you in the head. Or you walk across and you're just walking and you stub your toe on something that's there. We, we light a lamp so we don't have to, even if you can see a little bit, so you don't have to see dimly or obscurely. You might be able to see the outline of something, but you can't see its detail unless the light's on. We light a lamp so we can see clearly. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of our flesh. It's our vision, if you will. The eye is. It's our vision. It's our mind and our ability to think and reason. It's the God-given part of us that he gave us that's in his image, that was meant, that is meant to direct and inform our bodies. So it's not a blank slate that we can't see, that we don't stumble, our, our flesh doesn't, we don't, we don't allow our flesh to stumble through life, that it doesn't direct and dictate us. Then Jesus says this though, I have a question that comes out of this, are your eyes or your mind, careful just using eyes because then you just think about your eyesight, Twenty twenty. It's linked there, but it's a metaphor. He's talking about that part of us, our soul or our mind. Is it good or is it bad? Is it good or is it bad? Many of you would say today, well, mine's good because I accepted Christ. Is it always good? Is your vision always good? Is your mind always good? I'm not talking about getting old and forgetting. Okay, let's talk about this. Is your, is your mind good? What does that word good mean? It's interesting. Here's another one of the situations that if you just go with the word good or what it says healthy, totally miss a lot that's in there. Single-minded. Is your mind single-minded, focused, free from duplicity and deceit? What does that mean? It's free from concealing things or misrepresenting them. What does it mean by single-minded? That single-mindedness, that focus. Seeing God's truth and His instruction as the only worthwhile thing and valuable thing to direct our lives. That is what you have a good mind. 
when you peel everything else back, in your mind, there's this underlying belief and attitude that God's truth and His Word is the only thing that's valuable and worthwhile to direct one's life by. Is being single-minded and having a good mind, a good mind, in this sense, easily recognizes that you can't live a double life. And I'm telling you, in today's world, everybody thinks they can live a double life. And that's not just unbelievers. There are a lot of Christians that think they can get away with living a double life. And God, Jesus says, either you have a good mind or you have a bad mind. It's not an either, it's not, you can't have both. You can have one or the other. And a good mind recognizes that you can't have that double life. You can't have God's ways sometimes when it's convenient and the world's ways or your fleshly desires when it's convenient. If our eyes or our vision or our mind used here are good, single-minded, focused on God's truth and instruction, not dwelling on worldly fleshly desires, Jesus tells us that our whole life will be flooded with light. If your mind is single-mindedly focused on God and His ways, it says it will flood your whole life with light. You'll have spiritual illumination. You will see things the way they really are according to God's principles and the way He sees them. You will clearly see His truth and you will be able to shine brightly into your emotions, into your feelings, into your affections and give them the direction that they need instead of having them direct you. On the other hand, what if your mind is bad? Not good. This, getting, this is tough. Remember I said before, it's one or the other. You can't have both. You can't be double-minded. Bad here, evil in a moral and spiritual sense, wicked, malicious, mischievous. Not bad minds, bad vision, not 2020, not eyesight. Here's that metaphor again. Your mind, your soul. Not looking through the lens of God's truth and instruction, but instead looking at it from worldly and fleshly perspectives. There are only two choices. Either God's truth and His instruction or worldly, fleshly perspective. If our minds and our soul are bad, focused on our emotions, our feelings, our desires, our worldly passions, all those things like Adam and Eve's was in the garden, it says what? our whole life will be flooded with darkness. A good mind focused on God floods our life with light. A bad mind focused on things other than God will flood our life with darkness. What do we mean by darkness? Spiritual darkness. We will become ignorant of God and His ways. Remember we said before, a lot of you say, well, i got a good mind because I know Christ. The bottom line is if you're double-minded at all, you run the risk Every time you focus your attention on something other than God's truth, you allow spiritual darkness and ignorance. You become ignorant of God and His ways. You have errors in your reasoning and your thinking. Because remember, God originally designed your mind to work with Him in His illumination to direct all parts of your life. When we take our mind and focus it on something other than God, all of a sudden our mind starts to move us and we have errors in our reasoning and thinking. And it leads us down a bad path. We become influenced by evil spirits rather than by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And going further than that, it's a miserable and a pitiable state to be in and one in which most people in the world today walk in. 
me give you some examples. Just two quick examples if I can, because we've talked really kind of deep thinking through stuff using our minds this morning. Let me give you two practical examples. First off, let's take a look a little bit. Let's think for a second about the world, the world that we live in, and all the things that are going on. And as soon as I say that, if you start giving a thought, because I doubt whether there's many people today that aren't giving it any thought at all, but you're thinking about the world today. Okay, a good mind versus a bad mind. A good mind will look at the world through God's perspective. Is it evil? Yep. Is it full of wickedness? Yep. Is it getting more wicked? Yep. But notice I didn't say that going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yep, 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 all facts. But you know what else God's perspective reminds us of? Yeah, it's a bad place. Yeah, the evil is getting worse. It seems like uh, good is less valued, evil is more valued. Good's being pushed out, evil is being exalted. God's perspective. He's still in control. It's unfolding exactly the way he said it would. It hasn't surprised him. That's God's perspective. And even though evil is increasing, he is still at work restoring people to correct mindset. He's still rescuing people out of that. He's going to return someday and set all things right, rewarding and punishing accordingly. Sarah spoke of, we like the grace, we like the mercy, we all like that, but there's another side of God, which is wrath, that will come. Another thing in God's perspective, when it's dark, if our whole life is flooded by light, because our mind is focused in the right direction, we shine brighter in the midst of the darkest times than at any other time. This is actually probably the most powerful time that we could be alive as far as shining for Jesus, because if Jesus is in us and we're focused on him, Boy, do we shine. And we provide light for other people. Back to the message, several salt and light. Light to help people see the way so that they don't. Now what happens if you look at the world from the world's perspective? With bad mind. Doom and gloom. It's depressing. It's discouraging. Don't talk to me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear about it. Okay? Then when we do think about it, man's perspective is this, fleshly perspective, we can control it. We can fix it. All these problems in the world, we can fix it. Think about all the things that humans are cooking up in these days to fix stupid, bad, awful problems. And then when they try that for five years, they come up with a new idea because the old one didn't work, but nobody would ever admit that they thought they had the idea beforehand, try another thing, and that doesn't work, and then five years later, try another one, and five years later, but about 30 years later, we go back and try the one that didn't work 30 years ago, and say it's new. It happens. It happens. We're constantly coming up of new theories, humanly centered, of what's wrong, and then new strategies to try to fix it. It's all man-centered, because at a human perspective, when you take your eyes off God, you think everything happened by chance, and we just happen to be the kings because we got the best minds, so we can fix all this. Rather than looking at it as that we were made in God's image, and he's got a plan, and he has a way to work all this stuff out. And actually, when you look at things from man's perspective, without God's perspective, there's just a lot of confusion. I'll tell you what, you know guys, you and I have a choice to make. 
We've got to choose to look at the world from the lens that God gives, and the only way you're ever going to be able to do that if you immerse yourself in the Word of God and find out what He said was going to happen at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, and then how to walk through that and how to be ready. How about second example? Relationships. Oh, totally different. First we're talking about stuff and circumstance. Now let's talk about our relationships. You can let that be whatever you want right now. Relationships as a spouse, with your kids, with people, your co-workers, all that stuff there. Just relationships with people. God gives instructions all over the Bible about how we're supposed to deal with our relationships. Things like love, forgive, serve, bless, do good. And Jesus has given us the example. How about worldly perspective? in your relationships, use them. Retaliate. Defend yourself. And then you add into all the other influences that, that send these messages. Movies, books, pornography, psychology. There's good stuff in psychology, but there's an awful lot of humanistic thinking in psychology as well. Sociology, how to deal with relationships and culture. There's some good stuff in there, but there's also some stuff that doesn't have God's illumination in it. You and I need to choose to do relationships God's way. You can't be double-minded in your relationships. You can't choose to turn one second to turn on, I'm going to walk out God's counsel in my relationship, and then when the going gets tough, I'm going to give myself a break and just going to do what I feel like doing. It seems impossible to do what God said in relationships, to love, to forgive, to serve, to bless, to do good, and to walk like Jesus, but God wouldn't have instructed and given us the example if it couldn't be done without his help. And that's what we're to strive for. Jesus says this, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is a passage of Scripture, to be honest with you, until I studied it. It was always a fuzzy thing. It's like, why did he say this in the middle of this passage? And it's, if the light in you is darkness, that's, it's like <laughs> light and darkness don't exist together. But as I studied it through, it makes sense because he was, he's using metaphors and there's things in there that cause us to have to stop and think. And if we invite him into that thought process, he illuminates some really good things. Remember this when you're looking at this part of the passage. Our minds were supposed to be driven by God's ways. That's the way it was planned from the very beginning. And God's truths and instructions would inform and drive the emotions and passions and affections and desires that are part of our flesh. And so in other words, our mind would be instructed by God. It would drive our flesh to do what it's supposed to do and proper action would follow. That was the plan. But... If you take the lens, the mind, the vision, if you will, the mind, if you take the mind that you run all this stuff through, if it's corrupted with worldly ways, and it is looking to fleshly desires and appetites, what happens is this. You are perpetually thrust into ever-increasing darkness. You might start with some light, but if you start looking at things and thinking through things from the world's perspective and letting your flesh run the show, it spirals you down 
a rabbit hole, if you will, or a funnel that's going to push you to the very bottom and it actually gets darker and darker as you go and it gets harder and harder to see the light. It, take, it does. It starts to get harder and harder to see that. And you find yourself stumbling in the dark spiritually and you really don't see what's around you and you misread all the situations because you're not seeing them from God's perspective because you're focused on not God, on darkness. That's what he's saying there. If the light that's supposed to be illuminating your mind, if that's actually darkness, fleshly, worldly stuff, how great is that darkness? Because the thing that God gave you to direct you that was supposed to be flooded with his light and his illumination is now being driven by darkness. How great is that darkness? Because you know what? Without a God-inspired mind, we have no hope of ever coming up with anything worthwhile at all. It's going to destroy our lives and the lives of all around us. So the question is now, which glasses, which lens are you putting in front of your mind? What are you focusing on? So, to change things a little bit right now, I need three volunteers. And if I don't get three volunteers, I'm going to pick three people. I need three volunteers. Okay, come on up. Need two more. Cindy? Yeah, there we go. Right on stage. This is easy. You don't have to do anything other than what I asked you to do. <laughs> it's really going to be totally painless. Okay, well, yeah. Okay, come on over here. Right over here with me. Okay. I need you to take your glasses off. And I need you to put those glasses on. Cindy, I need you to put those glasses on. Now, Aaron doesn't have glasses, so... <laughs> now, Aaron, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask each. I'm going to ask you a question, but Aaron's going to go first. Aaron, what do you see? Reading table. Okay. Reading chart. Now, what do you see? Can you look up the screen up there? What do you see up there? Uh, blurry. Okay. What do you see, Cindy? Not a thing. Okay. <laughs> can can you can you read some of the letters up there for me? Okay. Can you read any of them? Okay. Okay. She made some mistakes, didn't she? He had them all right down there. Cindy, what can you see? Not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing. Okay. You can give my glasses back. See, it wasn't that hard, was it? You guys go back. Go ahead. You guys sit down. Now. That is simply to illustrate there three different things. Aaron didn't have glasses on at all. That would be a picture of what it's like when our mind is the way God intended it to be, focused on his truth. He sees that. And you notice he never said, when, when uh, Joyce, I asked her, what does she see at first? She said, blurry. Aaron didn't say that, did he? He immediately said, I see the eye chart. And actually, the eye chart, the print is actually blurry. I couldn't get a good crisp copy, but I figured it would work good enough like that. Aaron is a representative of any of us that have God's 
the right focus on God's things, and running all of our life through that, all of our mind through that directs. He could go down through. We probably could have pushed him a little more. He might have been able to get down and below that, but he went with what he could actually see without guessing. When Joyce got going, she jumped down through there, and I think it was either the third or the fourth line, she started to make mistakes. She could see some of it, it was blurry, and if you ever wanted, if you, if any of you want to take the test of that, you can put this on because when I put it on, I, I can, I know there's an E there, and I know there's an F and a P just because I've seen it before, but I couldn't tell you what they are. All right, that's what happens when that would be kind of like being double-minded. She could see some things, but she's missing key details. If she had to walk around a room with that kind of vision, she would stumble. She can't see detail, just that kind of thing there. Now. Cindy had these glasses on, okay? And those were clear last night. And then I took black spray paint and just sprayed the front of them. That's why when she put them on, not only do you not see anything, there is no light that comes through here at all. Not even around the edges. It's, it's totally dark. So Cindy would have no idea that there's even a screen up there. And that illustrates, ready? That illustrates the way most people walk on this side of heaven. Totally incoherent that there's anything out there to see, spiritually speaking. Because they're not looking at all through God's, and actually it's totally covered by the ways of the world and fleshly desires. Hopefully that grabs your attention a little bit, that, that there, there's, it's, not a, it's an either or, but unless you have God's, if you're solely focused on God and his things, anything short of that is going to harm your vision and it's interesting, I should have had probably choices to make out of what it is with some great rewards, like a $10 bill or a $15 bill. They would have tried really hard, but by that there, or, or let's say gambling, make them bet. How sure are you? Aaron would say, I'm sure. I'm not sure the way she was going through that, that she'd be willing to bet $20 of her own money what line three reads, or definitely not what line four reads. Okay? And Cindy, well, Cindy would have... <laughs> it's not good that her husband said that I probably, I'll have to deal with that later okay ready so we wrap up now you can only one, wear one pair of glasses for your mind at a time you can either have clean glasses, no glasses whatever you want as part of what Aaron had where you're focused on God or you can put either one of these two guys on dirty or totally black you can only wear one at a time. I don't care how good you think you can think of two things at once, you can't. You can only wear one. You can only have your mind focused in one direction at a time. You can either focus your mind on God's ways and His truths, and He'll enable you to see things from His eternal and spiritual perspective, and the result will be that He will renew your mind. If you focus on the Word of God and His truth, it will renew your mind and it will transform your life into what God intended it to be. The other choice, you can focus on worldly thinking, fleshly desires, ambitions, anything else that's what God says or instructs in His Word and you deny those things. And here's the danger. Don't do anything, and you're going to do the latter. Because you have a fallen nature. The natural default is to put one of these two on. If you don't do anything, you're going to have one of these two on. 
The only way you're going to have the clear vision, the clear mind, is to make the honest choice to focus your attention at all costs, at all times, as much as possible, lies within you to focus on what he thinks and what he says. It's your choice. It's your choice which lens or what the focus of your mind is going to be. Don't say, oh, I can't control my thoughts. What? Right. I can't control my thoughts. Or I can't control what's on my mind. Maybe, maybe you think that's the case, but when you say, I can't, and you don't do anything about it, guess what you've just done? You've chosen. Because God has a way for you to control and what to focus on. And we have to ask him for help. We have to come for him. And then we have to make an honest choice. You can't, you can't think your way out of temptation. You can't think your way out of bad focus. You have to literally change your focus. If I'm watching television with my wife and something comes up that I shouldn't see, which uh, in a commercial or whatever else, a scantily clad woman or whatever else, I have one of two choices. You say, well, I'm standing watching TV. I can't control it. Yes, I can. I can do this. Or I can turn away. I can turn the channel. If I don't do anything, guess what I just chose to do? I chose to focus on something I shouldn't focus on. Without a concerted effort on my part and your part, we will do exactly what Adam and Eve did, and we will look and reason from our fallen nature and will lead us away from God. What you focus your attention on, what you focus your mind on, is going to dictate where you go in life. That is an irrefutable law. What you focus your mind on is going to dictate where you go in life. And I want to close with this before I pray. What glasses, what focus will you put your mind on today? And that should be a question you ask yourself every day and numerous times every day. What focus do I have? What am I looking at? What perspective? Lord, we just thank you this morning for your goodness. Jesus, thank you for the depth of your teaching. Thank you that the things you shared, Lord, are intertwined with truths throughout the Bible because it's all part of what you have for us, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave us in the state that we were in fallen. You didn't leave us to have no hope after the fall in the garden. Lord, you made a way for us actually to have our minds renewed that would transform our lives. But Lord, it also takes a desire and actions on our part. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be would be conscientious now and aware of where we put our minds. Lord, I pray that we would recognize to do nothing is going to put our attention in the wrong place and lead us in a bad way. Lord, I pray that you would convict us, challenge us, and Lord, help us to learn the tools and the techniques and the right things to put in our mind, the right things to focus on, the right things, the right lens to be looking through. And Lord, help us to recognize when our, our mind wanders onto things that shouldn't be. And it may be things that don't even seem sinful initially, Lord, but they're worldly thinking. They're fleshly thinking. And Lord, help us to learn to recognize those things immediately because our, our spiritual vision becomes blurred. Lord, we need to see things as clearly as possible from your perspective. And Lord, I pray that we be disciplined to do so. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.